Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Yeah. That's Vanessa over there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Vanessa, you all right? Uh, Good. I I just realized I cannot hear anybody very well. Okay, there we go. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Vanessa, congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. How'd it, it was, go? It was so good. <laughs> oh, good. Glad Weddings, to hear it. man. Awesome. Still married? So far, so good. All right. They said it wouldn't last, but here we are. <laughs> I hear statistics, you know. Here we, uh, a peek behind the curtain. Because of the wedding and because of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, we are recording this episode prior to both of those events. Yes. And I have a question for you, okay. Vanessa. Yeah. Are you keeping your last name or are you taking his last name? I'm keeping my name. Why? Uh, <laughs> why? Yeah. I, uh, why, would you give, would you change your last name? No, but I am a man and you are a <laughs> woman. Well, the, the only reason I would expect you might take it is because of the name you do have in the context of pop culture world. It's a great, that's a, uh, there's so many answers to this, but um, <laughs> first of all, like my, my branding is actually not that Vanessa Williams. So my website is not that ah. Vanessa Williams. My email is not that Vanessa Williams. And everyone I've worked with for the last 16 years knows me as Vanessa Williams, but not that one. So <laughs> I, I kind of really need that regardless of whether or not uh, I, I was, get married. I was secretly hoping it was something pretentious like this. Yeah, very, very much so. And, and also like, surprise to anyone listening. This is not my first rodeo and I changed my name once before and it fucking sucks. I not recommend, I mean, many girls like it, but I was not one of them. So I do not like having people call me something new. I didn't enjoy being somebody else's name. I didn't enjoy the way people change the way they deal with you when you change your name. Yeah. Yeah. Like they treat you like you no longer are you. They're like, oh, where's your husband? Oh, where's so and so? Like it's never you're not you don't have your autonomy anymore. So, uh, fuck that noise and good luck to anybody who you know. It's I totally cool. Other people do it. That's awesome. I will not be doing it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Eric took his wife's last name. I you know I've considered it <laughs> because my last name is so unique, Margaret. It's so <laughs> uh, common. It's, just it's part of your branding, name. too. You don't want people to start <laughs> oh hiring you for anything, right? <laughs> did, your, did your wife take her? No. No, no I didn't think so. Yeah. Yeah. She loves her family. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I felt like I'd be separated from my family. There's that, like, too. Okay, that's yeah. Fair. Yeah. I get it. I definitely get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a choice that we all have to make now that it's not 1955 or whatever the fuck. 55? Hell, what are you talking about? Jump into the 80s for that one, man. You don't have to go that far back. (laughs) I know. That's true. It's awful. Wait a second. I'm still trying to process this. Let me get my pen out. It's not 1955? (laughs) (laughs) 
Very good. Very good. Looking, yes. Yes. Looking the end of my pencil here. All you have to know up. is you don't have to change anything <laughs> about anything you weren't worry about normally. Life is, will resume just as it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, welcome to that can of worms. <laughs> You're welcome. No, I, I got exactly what I wanted out of this. <laughs> Speaking of um, uptight women. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I, watched, I will shake you <laughs> right now. You'll have to pretend that I didn't and go on with the show. Now the audience doesn't know if I'm going to do it or not. It might happen. Maybe it already has. Uh, I watched on Netflix the Marilyn Monroe biopic Blonde. Oh, sure. Anyone else? No. No, I've heard it's just a happy tale of good times. It is one misery after another. Oh, gosh. Uh, it's a real... It's a real shit show, and I don't think it does her any justice. Um, Anna Darmus is spectacular in it. If what you want to see is her going through just agony after agony and traumatic experience after traumatic experience, mm. it doesn't touch on any of the good parts of Marilyn's life uh, or really any of the good parts, the good qualities of her personality. She was a very funny, almost comedic actress. And there's just, there's just none of that here. Uh, it's just every man who was awful to her and all of that stuff. And it's like, wow, this is a tough two hour and 10 minute watch. It's interesting that both the Elvis bio and this bio mm. cho chose to ignore that these people actually had qualities that made people want to be around them, right. like being funny. Right. I mean, and Marilyn was a very shrewd businesswoman. None of that is touched on. It's all she's dependent on men and men treat her horribly. Mm. Uh, also, just um, technically speaking with the film, it plays with aspect ratio through the entire thing. So oh, hmm. sometimes it fills the screen. Sometimes it's three, four aspect ratio. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why, but I do know that every time it happened, it lodged in my brain that, oh, this just happened. And I started wondering what they were trying to do by oh, doing that instead of watching the movie. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, I was really looking forward to this. I was the, uh, the weird teenager in the 80s that had a Marilyn Monroe poster on my wall opposite my Gene Simmons poster. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> People were very confused when they walked in your room. Yeah. And your Elvis poster. <laughs> I don't know if I ever had an Elvis poster, but I had a lot of Elvis music. But yeah, uh, so, you know, I've read the books and I haven't read the book this one is based on. And I think I have heard that a lot of people have come out and said that this book was not very true to what was actually going on in her life anyway. But, you know, this has just been hyped up so much and I was kind of looking forward to it. And now it was really a fucking depressing movie. That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> Totally skates over the fact that the Kennedys had her killed also. Anyway, Vanessa. I was going to say, does it include um, her post-mortem sexual exploit? No. That's, I mean, if you're going to talk about just the miserable shit, you might as well end on the uh, ultimate, you know, stamp on the way out. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a crazy couple weeks. So, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to watch things, but I have been able to check out uh, Reservation Dogs. I keep hearing everybody saying how much they love this. It's pretty...
pretty. I mean, I'm. I got through season one. I'm partway into season two now. It's pretty good. I I like it a lot. I think that um they found some you know uh, unnamed actors who are fantastic in this. Um, it's got this weird magical surrealist stuff that kind of pokes its head in. Um, Pretend so, I don't know what this show is about, and because yeah. I don't. Okay. And tell me what it is. So it's um a group of uh, teenagers who are like probably at the you know 16, 17 year old um, age and they're living out on a reservation and they all want to save money and run away to Hollywood. Um, they are sick of their lives and the weird reservation bullshit that they have to deal with all the time. Um, and they're living in this kind of small town where you see a, a rotating cast of characters that they keep running across. And it's just like really lovely. <laughs> Like the cop who like none of the other cops respect because he's like the reservation cop and he's actually Native American. And um, but he thinks like Bigfoot is real and he like he doesn't really arrest people so much as he just kind of like picks them up and drives them where they need to go. And he's always like sleuthing, but he really cares about the like paranormal. Like he doesn't actually care about what's going on in the town. So you get these like neat little characters or like this one guy who thinks he did like a good rain dance and he's sure he's like a god now, but he's like going around on his little scooter, like from place to place. It's it's just really lovely and has such personality and such great character development in it that the teens are not the only thing to watch the show for. Like these other characters are great. But in the meantime, you also have this sort of magical element where there is a spirit guide for one of the teens who is this kind of pudgy Native American guy who just walks around in a loincloth and he's like always like eating Cheetos and like giving him really bad advice. And he like died in a really unheroic way. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I highly recommend it. It sounds like a, like a feel good show. It's definitely got, it's got feel good moments. It's got a lot of like, it's, it's a very low tone. So it's not, um, you're not going to get like a lot of musical scores or like high moments. It's a lot of people just talking to each other and interacting with each other. So um, I think it feels good, but um, it, some people might find it boring or or weird, but I, I liked it. I need to check this out. I think you should at least watch one episode. You'll know immediately after one episode. The one annoying thing, though, is the writer, whoever the writer is of this, loves to use the term um, shit ass. If for everything. And so no matter who they are talking to, someone will insult somebody by calling them a shit ass. No matter who they are, it can be like a rich white lady. It can be like the person working behind the desk somewhere. It does not matter. Somebody will say it. And it always sounds weird to me. Side note, uh, somebody has told me or has introduced me to the beauty of mixing up your typical cursing and stuff like that. So, mm. you know, I used to love go fuck yourself, but I have learned the beauty of an insult like go shit yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> so maybe that's what's going on with that. It could be. It could be. Could I be. mean, it's like, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, how can you have ass without a shit or something? Sure. Okay. Where there's ass, there's shit. Yeah, it's a cliche true. for a reason. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Alrighty, <laughs> continuing my quest to watch all the slasher films I didn't watch in the eighties. Uh, Sorority House Massacre. Oh man! Wow. <laughs> yes, it's fine. I think I've seen this one. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you right now, your level of remembrance of it probably wouldn't be very high. It's 
It's fine. <laughs> this is not a guy with a big drill. No, that no, was a slumber, slumber party. party. Oh, is this so one that's masters. like a more recent? No, no. Okay. This is. I think there's a remake of it though. Maybe I've seen the remake. It's either there's and there's also a remake of Slumber Party Massacre, I believe. Mm. Which I, I didn't watch in my watching of the four of those. Maybe I should sometime, but I don't know. It's more about watching the stuff because I when my horror when I was younger did not go towards the slasher films. Right. So mm-hmm. I did not watch a lot, a lot of these. So I'm going back and giving it a shot. And this was one that I gave a shot to. I'm good. That's it. Uh. Wow. Beautiful. Man, October is a fun month for you, Eric. <laughs> like, or I should say the months leading up to and in yeah, October. Yeah, the, the 100 days things is is That's tough. I'm somewhere in the lot. 30s, I think. So I don't think I'm going to come remotely close to hitting wow. 100. <laughs> Ugh. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do my 30 days, and that's that's already a slog. Time to go. Yeah, should have two already. <laughs> well, I'm gonna count. I'm gonna count smile as one because sure. I did see it at midnight. So oh, I'm gonna go. count that. But that's October. And I guess I watched two yesterday. Yeah, the Wolfman yeah. last mm-hmm. night. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. If you haven't seen it, it's fine. new to you. Exactly. <laughs> Shoot, I'm gonna count those. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good to go. Nice. Uh, I saw a movie called Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Any, hmm. nothing? Nope. No. Brand new. It's directed by uh, the Iranian female director who did A Girl Walks Home Alone oh, at Night. Okay. And, okay. Um, yeah, okay. she's in Which I have seen. Prospect, actually, as an actress. Okay. Yeah. So really? <laughs> this is probably the best of her films. I, oh, okay. Her films have been, I kind of been like, eh, I like parts of them and I don't like all of them. And this film was a little bit like that also. Uh, it's about this girl who escaped from a mental institution, but she's being kept there because she has some kind of psychic powers. She can kind of stare at you and make you do what she wants you to do. Hmm. Oh, wow. And I, I like that kind of idea and and plot and all that stuff and pulls it off pretty well it's not um it's not great and it's got a kind of i don't know an ending that i didn't love but i liked a lot of what was going on with it and i think this is her third film now and i feel like every film is better than the last yeah so she is on a trajectory to make something spectacular i think nice oh that's great i'm really glad to hear that i wasn't a huge fan of a girl walks home alone at night although i know people love yeah. that movie yeah it's a it was, it's a little a little slow artsy slow kind of yeah it, it felt yeah. like a little pompous to to accept but you know like it's cool yeah it's a cool man well like an art house horror film yeah yeah. This one does not feel art housey at all. Oh, oh really? So, Even with yeah. that title. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a hell of a title. But Yeah, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. So. Nice. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, well, I am caught up now, I think, hopefully, on Andor. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, Are you liking uh, it more? I really like it, actually. I mean, it's I totally see what you're talking about with the, um, or I, I think you guys were talking about with the Blade Runner feel to it. Mm. Um, the look? I, I guess I felt it was more like a Battlestar Galactica. Oh, really? Feel. Like okay. the, newer, the newer Battlestar? Yeah. yeah. Mm. But mm-hmm. I, I thought that this new episode, you know, or the, I guess the last couple episodes, yeah. have, have taken a serious tone that had some really interesting things going on with it. Mm-hmm. So 
I liked it a lot more than the prior episodes. Um, I just feel like all around, it's been a much better series than, say, Obi-Wan. Oh, for oh, sure. Geez. 100%. The directing, <laughs> especially of action sequences, has been off the hook. <laughs> and like, considering they couldn't make Obi-Wan's fight with Darth Vader in a construction zone, I guess, come across very well. And this just had a warehouse with some chains and some like hanging things. Yeah. And they just slot. That is like intense and stressful and wonderful. And the two characters barely move. And it's still like on the edge of your seat for it. So, um, yeah, I just, yeah, there's a lot in here that I'm really liking. I'm interested to see where they decide to go with this. I like that it's a little bit more of a darker tone. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you murdered someone. That's rough for you, huh? Good job. <laughs> I thought there was, a, I mean, you know, Star Wars, these series now are known for um, dropping in guests and all of this stuff. So I'm like, okay, are we going to see a Vader appearance sure. in this? Or hmm. I thought, um, you know, at one point Andor mentions that he was on Mimban hmm. and that was a scene that Solo had. And I was like, oh, interesting. Oh, are we going to see a, a little... Well, I mean, from the original film, he was working with... Um... Lawrence Fishburne, wasn't he? No. For, uh, for which film? For um, uh, Rogue One, because it's the same character. No, you're thinking of Sagarera or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah that's, um, why can't I think of his name? I can think of his eye. <laughs> that's true. Um, oh, um, but that, the guy from The Shield and... Uh, yeah, yeah. But that actor, I was wondering whether or not like he might show up. That or would we be might great. Yeah. yeah, we might see something like that, I think. Um, and when the reveal, I mean, I looked at the cast. So when they had the reveal of like their heavy hitting star, who is this guy who's going to come and buy a thing from him? I was like, Psh, okay, Scars Guard. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was, cool. I was, I always like seeing him and stuff. I had to actually mm -hmm. IMDB the show because I was like, well, that looks like him, but it doesn't quite look like him. Because he's played like super fat recently, yeah. but he's not. Yeah, he's he's a pretty healthy dude. Yeah. But Forrest in Dune, Whitaker. he's like, Force Whitaker, Whitaker, thank you. Yeah, Force Whitaker. He was in, um, you, <laughs> you Demand Now, dog, right? I don't know that one. I know Samurai. Was it Samurai? The way of Samurai? Samurai Ghost dog? Warrior. Black, Ghost. yeah. The, Samurai Ghost. Oh. Yeah, there you go, Samurai Ghost. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, he, he. You haven't seen that one with Sean Connery trying to teach a, a black guy how to write. Guess not. And Sean Connery goes, "You demand now, dog." <laughs> and then the early internet went crazy. I think we got our bumper right there. It is so good. <laughs> like you, it, that moment. The, the rest of the film sucks. I did see it in theater, but like that moment is. So I remember him best, of course, from uh, Bloodsport as one of the oh, agents yes. trailing Van Damme. Exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That was a great film. Mm -hmm. Speaking sort of. Anyways. <laughs> anyway. So I'm in the middle of journeying through learning about film stuff. Do you ever see the, the film series called The Story of Film, an Odyssey? No. By, uh, Mark Cousins. No. This is this something I should have my students watch? I think it's amazing, but it is over 15 hours long. It's 15 episodes an it's hour 15 each. hours I don't have to teach. <laughs> There's a, almost like a semester. <laughs> um, the 
it's weird in that some people don't like it because he has a very strange delivery in the way he speaks. And he's he's very kind of quiet speaking, and he has an interesting tone in his voice. But I I happen to think it was fascinating. But I'm actually reading his book now, which is based on the same which he pulled from to make this mm. because I saw he has a new one coming out or had a new one come out in 2021, which is just only three hours. Mm. I was like, well, I think I'll read his stuff. And it's just a fascinating look at the way film developed. Like the the part I'm talking about or reading now is what happened when sound came in and the way they had to adjust the way cameras did. They had to big these giant boxes to put cameras in because cameras make noise and oh. they couldn't have that. And then, yeah. but it's not just American film or European. I was also talking about what the Japanese and India and oh. was doing at the same time and how Japan stuck with, you know, early, early films look like a play. Japan stuck at that decades longer than we did. Uh, just shit like that, which I absolutely love. And it's not just the same films you always hear. He talks a little bit about Eisenstein, of course, because of the the stairs and the montage. But he's also talking about French filmmakers you haven't heard of, uh, the contributions women filmmakers were making that have been tossed aside and other aspects of stuff that's been added to film hmm. that people that added it, the cutting of like one guy that's like, okay, I shot this one dude and I told him, okay, in this scene, you're aching for food. You're starving. So he shot him doing that. And then he told, okay, now it's Christmas and you really, really want to open your present. You're really interested in it. And he shot the guy then showed the two pieces to somebody. And of course he's going, well, nobody knows what the hell the difference is going on in this guy's head. Yeah. So he realized, okay, I'm going to shoot him then, and then I'm going to show a plate of food. And then I'm going to shoot him doing that, and then I'm going to show him looking at a Christmas present. Uh, and he invented that idea of reactive editing, right. which, where you let people know what your character's thinking without right. using words. Fuck, I love film, man. <laughs> They're cr that's crazy. That's so good. It was, what's this thing called? The and story? where is it playing? The story of film. film. Okay. It is... Uh, I don't know if it's running right now. It's got a DVD set. Um, but the book is what I'm reading now. And that's uh, um, reading. really interesting. And just, you know, because the book's seven, 800 pages or something like that. So the detail is way beyond That's cool. what's in the, the documentary. But I really found it very interesting. That's so cool. I also have had some people go, I can't stand the way that guy talks. I just couldn't watch it. It's like, okay. Fine. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, exactly. Sometimes that'll happen, but... Uh, that's hopefully the information is like worth oh, yeah. just putting that to the side. So that's yeah. so cool. Huh. That is cool. I'm going to check that out. But first, why don't we take a little break? And then when we come back, we are going to be talking about Hammer Horror Film. athletic footwear and apparel at Foot Locker and other fine stores.
We have returned. Uh, Vanessa, this was kind of your pick. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. It was sort of my pick. Um, so we went this, I mean, I went this week with uh, Hammer as my um, oh, October really? okay. studio. <laughs> yeah, it's Hammer this week, right? It's Hammer. Um, yeah. So um, I have that huge box set. And so it's really exciting to be able to jump back into this. Of course, the first movie I picked, um, I put into my... DVD player and it rejected it because it was a region two, but it's fine. Mm. I know. <laughs> what was that movie going to be? It was going to be the um, zombie movie, the only Hammer zombie movie out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, which is cool because it would have been the second zombie movie, I think, in existence. Wait a second. So before you go into this, mm -hmm. did you get this, the movie you did choose from that same box set? Um, I mean, I had to pay for it. Oh, because I was going to say, the box set have like uh, various regions on it? It only has one region, and oh. I was not willing to make my PlayStation 5 be on region 2. Right. So, okay. yeah, here we are. Here we are with uh, the 1961 uh, incredible film, Curse of the Werewolf. The Curse of the Werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. To this Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf, a man possessed by a desperate need for love, who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me? Will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, but will you marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. Help me. Yeah, um, doing a werewolf back to back at this point. We'll see. We're, we'll see what October brings. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, two more weeks. Two more weeks of could be, maybe depends what uh, what other studios we may or may not bring up. You're totally screwing up my werewolf vember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're go gonna run the, out go of the German pronunciation movies. there. Werewolf. Werewolf vember. Um, so 60% critics score and 58% audience. So, um, whoever did end up seeing this movie, this, you know, hammer film is so, so about it. Um, <laughs> I thought it was great. Uh, no budget, no box office other than apparently it was a commercial failure. Do not know beyond that. Directed by Terrence Fisher. Who? Terrence Fisher. 
65, <laughs> 65 projects, many of which you guys might have heard of. <clears throat> uh, we have previously talked about Devil Rides Out, um, which was one of his films. Um, he also worked on things like Horror of Dracula, Dracula Prince of Darkness, Brides of Dracula, um, and other films that may or may not come up today. Uh, he also, uh, this was also written by Anthony Hines, who has 20 credits to his name, including Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Brides of Dracula, many Dracula ones, and Rasputin. Um, he's mostly a producer, actually, and he did 65 different um, producing credits were uh, put to his name on IMDb. Um, all, uh, pretty much almost all Hammer stuff. So, starring Oliver Reed. Uh, he has 122 credits to his name, including The Brood, Gladiator, The Big Sleep, Dr. Heckle, and Mr. Hype, which I thought sounded incredible. Uh, Catherine Feller plays uh, Christina in this, um, who's like the love interest. 45 credits to her name, mostly TV movies and The Little World of Don Camillo. Yvonne Romaine, 41 credits, plays the mom. Um, she was uh, sort of the second big name attached to this. She was in Night Creatures, Danger Man, uh, Devil Doll, and has big boobs. Um, Hammer. <laughs> 100% <laughs> why she's uh, on the poster, which I will get to later. So the story, a beggar arrives in a Spanish town on the day of the Marquis's wedding. Uh, he he goes to a local bar and is asking for money and they all laugh at him and they're like, no, <laughs> all of our money is going towards paying for this dude's wedding. So if you want money, go to his place. And the guy's like, oh, OK, I'll go on over there then. Sounds good. <laughs> so, of course, he goes to the house. He knocks on the door and the, the doorman opens it and it's like what do you want? Do you mind giving money? And he's like, get out of here before he notices you. But of course it's too late. The Marquis notices him and invites him into the feast. He's there with his lady and a lot of dudes who are laughing at everything the Marquis says and does, even though he's a absolute asshat. Shit ass is shit ass. Yes, he is a shit ass. He like they the chef like we see this because the chef brings him like a stuffed goose that everyone's like ooh ah it's like taxidermy goose with like a apple in its beak or some shit. He's like <laughs> yeah, full wings out and it like comes up to them and the the uh, his wife is like oh that's kind of gross and I'm right there with her because it looks kind of gross but the marquee who was like that wonderful wonderful looks at her face and goes what's the problem and then she's like oh, I just don't really like it. And he's like, oh, why would you bring this disgusting food to my lady? And like slaps the entire goose on the floor. And it's all like wings there. Anyway, and everyone's <laughs> laughing. Yeah. And then he kicks the guy, the chef, and throws the goose at him. Anyway, so he's not a good guy. Um, so this is not going to bode well for the beggar who happens to come in. Um, instead of giving him money, he says, uh, I will, or food, he says, I will give you wine and more wine and more wine. And is enjoying, everyone's enjoying watching this beggar get drunk. And he's like, I'll give you this half eaten piece of meat if you dance for me. And the guy's like, I don't know how to dance. He's like, yes, I'm, everyone can dance. So he's making this guy dance. And then he's like, well, my wife needs a pet. How much for you to be a pet? And he offers them different money. And of course, the guy has no idea what this means. And uh, finally agrees on a sum, which the guy's like, oh, my God, you would give me 15 of this coin of whatever kind? He's like, <laughs> yes. And he chucks the coins on the floor and the guy scrambles and gets it. And then, of course, he's put into a pen for the wife and forgotten about. 
immediately and uh, basically put into this little jail cell inside of the Marquis' home. And um, many, many years later, uh, there's a girl who is um, a mute uh, servant of the household who has been assigned to feed this forgotten man. And um, she brings him, him food and he's become more and more wildly as time goes on. And as she gets older and becomes beautiful and large-breasted, she continues to feed him and everyone else has forgotten about him. It's just her now. However, um, the Marquis, whose wife is long gone because he's mean and I guess killed her at some point, um, <laughs> tries to get it on, but he's gross. And uh, with this beautiful woman and she says no. Well, she can't say it because she's mute. She hints no. And so he throws her. <laughs> he mimes no. <laughs> she she kind of walks off and is like, mm, and he's like, for your insolence, the jail cell. So she gets thrown in with the beggar who is now basically a total wild man. Um, he sees her and cannot help himself. He rapes the shit out of her. So cool. <laughs> Uh, she then wakes uh, wakes up from this endeavor in the cell, and um, he is died, uh, and she starts banging on the the yeah, what are the bars. <laughs> the word is bar. Uh, listener, I wish you could have seen the motion she was making <laughs> no. with her hands there. I was like, where no. is she going with this? <laughs> My God, no! That's too early. Um, it's a Sunday, for God's sake! Don't. God will be mad. Anyway, so uh, so anyway, so the this guy like lets her out and he's like, well, you know where you got to go now. And she's like, if I'm, I'm letting you out, then you know you've learned your lesson. You've got to go and have sex with the Marquis. So she goes up there and the Marquis is like, yes, you've learned, you're ready for me, huh? And behind her back is a giant uh, sconce um, that is shaped into a sort of like, it's a giant triangular like point with um, uh, like... <laughs> just big metal thing where you would normally have candles, but there's no candle. And right as he goes in to do whatever he wants to do with her, she stabs the shit out of him and runs away, which is great. So uh, she escapes off into the woods. And this is where um, our, a gentleman scholar, Alfredo, and his housekeeper, Teresa, uh, discovers her. They are super kindly people. They take her in um, and she becomes and slash is super pregnant. So on Christmas Day, she gives birth to a child, which is very bad luck. So there's a lot of bad things happening here. There's a ton of not good things in general. So she gives birth to this kid on Christmas Day. Uh, and since it is an unwanted child, Teresa says this is not good because um, it is an affront slash insult to heaven to have an unwanted child on Christmas Day. So anyway, she dies. Well, she has him, so that's fine. So Alfredo and Teresa raise the boy, uh, and when he's a preteen, he uh, starts to have these strange sort of behaviors. Um, there's all these sort of weird animal killings that occur, and um, Alfredo and Teresa discover that this kid's soul is corrupted. And in fact, he he gets a bunch of fur on his arms whenever he's um, having bad feelings so <laughs> you guys i swear to actual i have done nothing <laughs> you just you were here for it um so anyway so they they discover that like he, he's 
his soul is corrupted and, and at war with itself because of not his own fault, but because of the circumstances in which he's been born. In order to uh, prevent him from becoming a murderous um, wolf boy, because that is the way werewolves work in this particular movie, um, it, it's a it's a war between good and evil happening within the soul. And as a priest explains to Alfredo, because he um, is not at peace and comes from such a horrible situation, he must kind of choose specifically to uh, be good and not become a werewolf. So he, they raised him to be like a good kid, and then he's totally fine. He doesn't have any more like going off and killing random animal occurrences for like a good long time. All yeah. right. Next movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. However, he grows up to become a handsome young man and he decides to uh, leave and, and go out and earn his place in the world. And his dad is like, dad slash guy who raised, raised him. I just love that his name is Alfredo, like sauce. Um, says, so go on out and, you know, <laughs> make a name for yourself. So he finds a job at a wine merchant where he's working with this guy, Jose, and they are um, bottling and labeling up wine bottles. Now, Jose is a super fun dude. And man, he's got a big personality and he wants to have fun all the time. Um, he maybe uh, wants to do things that are not above the books. Meanwhile, our hero... Um, falls in love with the merchant's daughter, the winemaker's daughter, Christina. However, she's betrothed to someone else, but I guess that's okay because as the priest had said earlier, not only if he chooses to be good, will he be saved, but if he finds love, that will also prevent him from becoming evil. So um, Jose, however, is not good and does not represent love. He represents going out uh, on Saturday night to a local brothel and gambling and drinking. And he takes um, our main guy with him and he becomes the wolf. It is a full moon. And he murders this girl who's like hitting on him. Um, he then uh, goes on a spree. He ends up killing his friend. He ends up killing some people in the streets. And then he goes and uh, tries to hide himself away. However, um, this sort of pulling and pushing between the soul, it's just, it's a lot. The He goes and hides inside of the like winemaker cellar thing and locks him, himself in. And the girl, Christina, she finds him and she stays with him during that night. And lo and behold, he does not become the wolf because of her love and care and their tie to each other. Her, his, her goodness and her caring with him creates his soul to be calm. However... Um, they link him to the deaths and they throw him into jail. So he cannot have her with him. He is alone on his own and he is begging. His father shows up and he begs him, please send me away. This sure sounds like last week's movie. He's like, please send me away. I will murder everyone. And his father's like, no, you can, you can do it. I believe in you. And the father convinces the mayor that, you know, you've got to like help him. You've got to let him go. The mayor goes down to check him out and he's like, well, you're not furry and you don't have teeth. So I think this whole story is bullshit. So you need to fucking stop. <laughs> of course, that night, without the care and love of Christina, he does break out of the jail. Very, very bendy jail. <laughs> just, he just kind of pulls off and bends and chucks off the door. Anyway, it's fine. And goes on a big like ramp. It's very Frankenstein. He's like running and the villagers are after him with the torches. And um, lo and behold... 
uh, his his father, much like the other movie, has to put him down. And Christina is very sad and cries on Teresa. And then the credits roll. It's very abrupt. <laughs> so, um, impressions. It's so sad. This film is so, so sad. But it's interesting because unlike the um, universal picture, it, the sets are shit. They look <laughs> extremely wow. bad, extremely rough. But the plot and the story and the acting are so much better that you kind of wish like these powers combined. <laughs> like even his crappy werewolf makeup, which super just looks like you guys have seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Yeah. Sure. Whenever the vampires become vampires and they get the lumpy head, that's <sighs> his makeup. He's just that. But it doesn't matter. You're just like, yeah, fuck, yeah, that he's a werewolf because of the way he like owns the role. Yeah. Um, it, ha it does have a similar um, problem of location, though. We are in Spain for the story, and everyone is very English, and they have very English ways about them and very English sayings, but they dress flamboyantly, and there's occasionally a flamenco dancer, so we're definitely in Spain, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the lore in this is pretty fun. I, the, it feels like they're kind of figuring some stuff out in here as well. They take this crucifix and melt it down. It's a silver crucifix and make it into silver bullets. And that is how they can harm him is with these like crucifix bullets. So that's cool. Um, the soul being corrupted versus, you know, not, it's not just that he got bitten. It's, it's more that he has come from this place and he has this internal battle. And I think that adds to his character and his story. Like, He's got to figure out how to be a good man despite having, like, such a harrowing, awful upbringing. Um, not upbringing, but origin story. Um, taglines. Even those who loved him were not safe. Cool. <laughs> this summer's new big thrill. See. I know. Half, half man, half wolf. To the point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he fought the hideous curse of his evil birth, but his ravished victims were proof that the cravings of his blood, uh, beast blood demanded he kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Wordy. <laughs> uh, he had but one body, yet lived with two souls. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot of taglines. Um, trivia. So this was actually a Hammer slash Universal film. Uh, it's pretty cool that it sort of uh, works with the previous franchise. Um, it was Hammer, but it was um, released in the United States as the MCA Universal Franchise Collection uh, brought out by Universal in 2005. It's loosely adapted from Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor. This is the only werewolf film made by Hammer Studios. It reused the set from House of Dracula of 1958. The Spanish setting for the film was forced upon Anthony writer Anthony Hines after Michael Carreras had the studio backlot dressed for a film about Spanish Inquisition, but the film was not produced because the Catholic League of Decency threatened to ban it, so they needed somebody to use it. Darn if they couldn't use it for this movie. <laughs> so why not? Where was the Catholic League of Decency when the actual Inquisition was around? That's a leading it. <laughs> <laughs> sure were. They were well into it. Five minutes were actually cut um, from this movie by the censor for British uh, BBC uh, censorship. And uh, even more was cut out of the American version. 
Oliver Reed, and I will get to a piece of that in a sec. Oliver Reed used uh, to enjoy frightening fellow, <laughs> sorry, Oliver Reed used to enjoy frightening his fellow motorists by driving home in his full werewolf makeup <laughs> after finishing work for the day. Uh, Oliver Reed sounds like someone I would love to have had a drink with. Right. Man, yes. Or 10. Yeah. Uh, the makeup was based on Jack Pierce's makeup for The Wolfman, 1941. They put the mute short-lived character on the poster that's the the mother character as the as a woman being held by the werewolf, hoping that her <laughs> massive cleavage would lure male viewers into theaters. Never mind that she played his mother, who died in childbirth, and the two never shared a scene. Uh, the film was not as successful as other Hammer movies. Um, Howard Thomas of the New York Times wrote that some of the color photography was beautiful, adding. For a werewolf yarn, this Hammer production has a gothic type of narrative that is not uninteresting. Oh. <laughs> High praise indeed. Wow. <laughs> That's about on par with all of the reviews about this. They're like, man, what a film. I guess I saw it. So, <laughs> uh, in some versions of the video, the, this is the rough part. In some versions of the video, the mute girl's um, father is the beggar himself. I think that's probably what was cut. So the mute girl who is raped by the beggar and that's oh. how she gets pregnant in some versions, that is her father. So that explains the darkness yes. of the soul. That exactly. Created exactly. From a foul deed. This film was adapted into a 15 page comic strip for the January, 1978 issue of the magazine, the house of ha uh, hammer volume number one, uh, number volume one, number 10, and this is uh, this film is referred to in both The Howling and John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. And that's it. I remember liking this movie, but not loving it. Oliver Reed is Oliver it? Reed, yeah. Yeah. It's you know, it's got a lot of neat things in it. I mean, it's it's a hammer film, so it's just it's super low budget. There's a lot of like, why and okay, why are we here? Why are we looking at this? Why is this a thing? Why is this person still talking? But I don't know. Like, I really liked the character in the plot. I felt like it had a, a darkness that was really interesting. This cool. movie must have been at least partially influential on the book and movie uh, The Beast Within, which is kind of the same thing of a guy mm. being thrown in a cell and, and turning wild and then raping a woman, and she gives birth to an actual animal oh, child. Oh, snap. Ooh, yeah. You know, yeah, just that's based gotta on the be. fact that he... Turned into an animal, and like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. It's, it's that's, a weird. That's idea. what the weird implication is. Like when she gets raped by the beggar guy, like he has like super furry. I want to say arms or legs. Like they showcase some part of him that's just really furry, and it's trying to imply, I think, that he's become an animal himself. He's regressed somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Well, I'll dive in next if you're all good with that with the hammer version of the Phantom of the Opera. Come, if you dare, within these walls. On stage is color, beauty, and light. But in the shadows lurks a monstrous evil. Young woman, you must come with me. Terror haunts these dusty corridors. 
Murder waits its call in the dressing rooms. And on cue, death makes his entrance. and happiness, for this beautiful young girl is tangled in a web of terror. The Phantom of the Opera, the hideous echo of a night of agony and horror. A night that must be avenged, even from beyond the grave. Christine! The Phantom of the Opera! That's not the one, unfortunately. Musically. Uh, 1962. Rotten Tomatoes, there were no critics score yet for this one, which is weird because you think Hammer would be more covered, but hmm. 49 by the crowd. Oh, no. <laughs> so not huge. The budget is reported to be about 180,000 pounds. Translated? With Vanessa, how, uh, <laughs> how many ounces right, is that? 1970. Uh, <laughs> 1962. 1962. Okay. Well, who's the prime minister? Hold on. I, I can figure this out. Uh, directed by, can you guess? Terrence Fisher. Fisher. Yay! Woo! He has done mostly Hammer, but he's also done The Devil Rides Out, <laughs> The Mummy, The Mickey Mouse Club. What? Really? Several different Robin Hood productions. I need to see that episode of The Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> yeah. He's done both TV and movie versions of Robin Hood. Written by Anthony Hines. He also produced a lot of films. Huh. I think it's like 64, 65. <laughs> um, wrote also The Legend of the Werewolf, The Brides of Dracula, which is actually pretty good, and uh, The Reptile. I did not watch that one because it looked no, goofy as fuck. Either. Yeah. And this is also based on the book by Gaston Laurel, who wrote the original novel. Starring Herbert Thum, uh, who's... L O M. Yeah, Herbert Lom. Lom. Oh, you, yes. wow! I didn't know he was. In yeah, this. he plays the Phantom. Okay. Uh, who's also been in the movie "Memed by Hawk." Memed. Yeah, from the sixties. Like memed, uh, M E M E D. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I want that movie, but now. <laughs> the Dead Zone. Uh, yes. Cool. Many Pink Panther movies. Yes. As the Inspector. Oh. Oh. Spartacus. Brass Monkey. Okay. That funky monkey. That's the one. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Heather Sears plays Christine. She's known for her great, great expectations, touch and go, and dry rot. Unfortunately, Ooh, title for a film. Awful. Is that a film or she's known for having? <laughs> I hope it's a movie. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, Edward de Souza, who's a, a midnight, or excuse me, a Midsummer Night's Dream, Kiss of the Vampire, The Rat Catchers. And Michael Goh, uh, he's played Alfred. And several of the Batman movies. Hmm. Uh, I think the Burton ones. And he also played Doctor Who. He's in The Boys from Brazil. 
uh, 200 plus credits. So he's been in a lot of shit. Okay. The opening shot. Oh, yes. We are definitely in a hammer film. Because it's a, <laughs> it's a, you know, call it what you want, low budget set, but it's painted and looks spectacularly wild and completely impractical, but looks really cool in its impracticality of the, with the phantom sitting up in a corner playing his organ, organ piano. And uh, he has a Renfeld kind of character in this one. There's a backup character for that. And I'll get to why in the notes. It's kind of weird. Uh, this is a much darker looking film right from the start because the, the universal one I talked about last week is very party. It's very bright and friendly. Um, and the opening credits are it, the Phantom sitting there playing and you see his mask. He has a full face mask in this one, which I think is a bad choice. Oh, no. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't re-record his voice. <gasps> later so when no. he's talking you're hearing but it zooms in on his one eye that's so and through the whole credits it's just this shot of his eye so it's like okay sure <laughs> i think not? that's how mine started i think it was just zooming in on an eye and terrence fisher you know <laughs> he's he knows what he's thing, up to I guess. Um, so the movie starts off with phantom running around scaring the hell out of uh leading lady who is not Christine. She's not in the movie yet. Uh, so he's haunting. Unlike most Phantom of the Operas where they talk about how he's been haunting for years and he's always been around, they usually don't do any of that. This one does. For a brief little bit, he starts off already being there with a new production going on. And of course, you've got the haunted opera box, which I always thought was a strange choice, especially once they start looking for the him as a killer. Like, why don't you check the box? I mean, the box at some point, right? He's got to get in and out of there somehow. <laughs> but that's all right, because it's still cool, because it's the Phantom. Um, the story doesn't ha does not have all the same characters. Uh, Christine and the Phantom are pretty much the only uh, original characters. He doesn't have, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of the lover's triangle stuff, but nowhere near the level of most of the Phantom movies. Um, so right off the bat, he's... Christine, he's already getting talked to shortly after they change and she shows up and he's immediately talking to her. And it's like, okay, sure. <laughs> but um, he's kind of a scummy guy. He's a phantom. Tells her she he wants to sing in his opera, but uh, he must protect and stop whoever gets in his way. It's fairly, This is a fairly straightforward interpretation of the film, of the story. Christina tells her the man that's going to be her boyfriend eventually to uh, speak to any, the phantom shows up and threatens the guys <laughs> while they're in the dressing room with her. They go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they still can't find him. Uh, there's extra killings in this one, uh, usually done, uh, almost exclusively done by the his assistant, who, and they're, of course, hammer, so it's stab in the eye with blood flying everywhere. It's nice. like, damn. <laughs> I don't know, this one was not as fluid in the flow of the story is the first one. So it's a little boringer, I guess. Oh, boringer. <laughs> um, so when she st he starts to train her, he's training her how to sing through this mask. Oh, no. I was like, uh, he <laughs> kidnaps her and she, and for like days, she's down there mm -hmm. getting trained and people are trying to find her. And uh, the hero guy who is um, Edward Souza is awesome. He is my standout guy for this movie. 
His character is a lot of fun. He's very interesting. When Christine first tries out, uh, the guy who plays Ada or plays uh, Alfred is a dick in this movie. He's a complete asshole. After her audition, he says, well, that was wonderful. Why don't you join me for dinner tonight and we'll discuss your role. And she's like, uh, okay. (laughs) So she joins him for dinner and then it becomes very obvious by the end of the dinner. It's like, well, you should accompany me back to my apartment and we'll discuss your role further. And she is kind of trapped, not knowing what to do because she really wants the role in the opera, but she obviously doesn't want to know what do what's coming up. And Edward shows up and, hey, how you doing? Quickly figures out, because he knows this guy's an asshole, what's going on and uh, completely mentally overpowers the guy in a nice little scene of, you're not going to do this. I'm stopping with no actual verbiage mm. of that being said. Mm. And then, you know, they have dinner, of course, because he is <laughs> the good looking leading man guy. So she's like, I'll sit he with saved you. Her. <laughs> and then the producer, Alfred's guy, kicks her out of the play. And she no longer is going to be the lead anyways. And the guy as well. So they're trying to figure out how to be involved with the opera that the Phantom's at without being at the opera. So it's got some strange story twists and turns that are odd. Wouldn't they want to not be involved with the opera? They still want to get back for, I forgot what they're going back for, but there's something they go back for and they run into a bunch of street women, not street walkers, but women that working on weird stuff that are blocking them from getting into the opera, like a weird security system. Kind of like a Pat Benatar, we are young moment. (laughs) There you go. Not quite that elaborate, but yeah, that'll work. Until he says, well, I think I lost my diamond bracelet. It's back in the theater. Do you think you can help me find it? And all the women run away and they go the other direction to get back in the theater for what they're hunting for. So this was, you know, less impactful point by point in the story than the version by Universal. It's still all there. The, the But there's a lot more violence. There's a lot more implied uh, sexuality and uh, casting couch stuff going on. But you liked it less. Differently, if it sounds weird, because the first one mm-hmm. is almost goofy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Universal one is almost goofy. And it's it's a fun watch. This is Hammer. It feels like Hammer. It's also like the Wolf one, not one of their more successful ones. How big are the girls' boobs? Not nearly the size of the... That was the problem. <laughs> you know, if everything else fails, just get the, get the <laughs> big... Right. Yeah. And if you don't have Andrew Lloyd Webber level music, let's just, let's just do bits and pieces from the productions instead of having the entire song. Right. The... Ending is kind of a letdown. You, you expect the big chase through the catacombs, and there isn't one. So it's a little weird. It's a fun film. It's got the, the hammer thing, so it's still... I like hammer enough that if it's got the flavor of hammer, I can still enjoy watching it. Yeah. And this definitely is Terrence Fisher directed. Um, taglines. Out of the hell fire of horror, unimaginable rises the figure of terror incarnate. Hmm. Yeah. Dramatic. Incarnate. The most unusual tale of terror and love ever told. No, not not that (laughs) unusual. How about that? (laughs) Seems pretty common, actually. (laughs) 
he hid behind a face that was not his until her beauty stripped away his curtain of evil, his mask of horror. Uh, whoa. Yeah, especially since the mask wasn't really. <laughs> she really didn't reform the guy or anything. Yeah, you know? he, he hid behind what? I mean, anyway, I'm sorry. Driven by hate to live behind a mask of horror. Driven by love to steal the beauty the world denied him. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Beneath his mask, the grotesque face of unimaginable. Inside his heart, the desperate desire for beauty and love. Aw, that makes him almost sympathetic. The greatest thrill classic of all time. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's Inaccurate. a stretch there. This one was also distributed by Universal because they distribute a lot of Hammer, I believe. They're uh, kind of the Disney to Pixar where they distribute their stuff, uh, but they don't necessarily pay for all of it. Yeah, they're just like the U.S. branch. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you want this to be bought by the Americans, huh? Yep. I got a deal for you, kid. It also was supposed to be a, a remake oh. of The Phantom, but they didn't want to do it at the time, so they just passed it on to horror. It's like, hey, you go ahead. <gasps> they expected the actors to throw themselves into their work so much that for one of the scenes, uh, Edward, the lead, was told to slam his head against a stone pillar that was actually stone. Oh, God. And he said, uh, no. <laughs> so they, they, he made them create a false thing for him to slam his head against. And then I read that note before watching the film. And when that scene happens, he crushes his head into the pillar. So it's like, yeah, I can see why you wanted something padded. Right. <laughs> that would have knocked you the fuck out. The mask was made on the fly just before shooting of cloth tape, string and paint. Somebody was like, hey, isn't this guy supposed to be wearing a mask? <laughs> totally. Like, yeah. is, you think they would have planned that, like, first. Like, first it, thing. It looks like it, too. It's not. Oh. It's, That's so it's just this flat thing that hangs down with a hole cut for one eye and a couple nose holes. Oh, it's geez. very uninspired. Christopher Lee was in serious consideration for the part, but he decided, I don't want to do that. Film flopped on its release. Hey. It felt it flopped so bad that director Terrence Fisher fell out of favor with Hammer Studios and was not given another film for two years. Oh, which you know in Hammer time that actually means something. Yeah, nowadays, that's like yeah, they 20, 30 films. Titles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nowadays two years between films is your normal. You're making them fast. Yeah, <laughs> but um, the film was originally written for Cary Grant because he wanted to do a horror film. What? Oh. And in order to keep his presence as the good guy of films, that's why they created the Renfeld kind of character. Because he's the guy who does all the violence. He's the one that does all the kidnappings and the murders, which the Phantom does none of, because Cary Grant didn't want to do any of that Mm. in that film. Mm. Uh, Eventually, he declined to be involved in it. And um, then it went to Hammer. We're like, okay, well, we'll do some of this. Not something particularly successful, but we'll go with it. So that's why he, that's why you get that extra character that's never been in previous and any since that I've seen at least. I praise Edward Sousa here again as he has great screen presence and really carries the scenes he's in, kind of like um, the lead in Curse of the Werewolf. Uh, Oliver Reed. Reed. It just carries the moments when he's on screen. The music sounds straight out of, um, it's oddly new sounding i mean for the period it doesn't sound like you would expect the phantom of the opera to sound like even based on the newer stuff 
And here's random weird fact by somebody who spends too much time either watching movies or playing music. The con when the conductor turns the page and it is torn, it is only page two of the score. Act one has been going on for a few minutes, probably roughly <laughs> 20 pages of standard score. But the conductor is still on page one, which is about six bars or 10 seconds of music. That person sounds insufferable. <laughs> I would not want to see a movie with them. Do you see how the candles are going up and down and up and down? How <laughs> he crazy. A, he had a full drink. Now he has half a drink. Do you see the clock? It's like two minutes earlier, and now it's later, and now it's back. Oh, my God. The trailer borrowed movie music from Revenge of the Creature because it's both universal. So, like, hey, we'll just use the music again. And uh, eventually, when it made a TV premiere in the U.S., they shot extra footage without telling anybody about it. They just shot some extra footage and put it in for the release. So, Universal and Hammer both, like... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. At this point, if you're going in time, Lon Chaney's is still far superior to okay. either of these films. Hmm. All right. Well, we didn't have to make this a Hammer film thing. We could have just made this a Terrence Fisher retrospective. We <laughs> really could have. <laughs> they do go well together. <laughs> uh, I chose, from 1960, The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. Cannot bear to see a man change before your eyes. Then shut them for just a few seconds, if you can. And listen for the shuddering sounds to end. They mark the evil transformation of Henry Jekyll to his monstrous other self, the cruel, depraved Edward Hyde. For God's sake, man, don't kill him. Let me alone, Jekyll. Let me alone, Jekyll. Here is the century-old horror classic filmed as it has never been before with a cast that takes the living shape of the characters that have enthralled billions of readers all over the world. This is Dr. Jekyll, one man with two faces and a mind split in two. Will we ever know who we really are? Who are you, Kitty? Who are you? Dawn Adams as his shameless wife, unaware that her husband was two men, both of them watching her jealously. I don't deserve you, Kitty. You don't? I deserve you. I deserve nothing better than you. Christopher Lee as the lover who shared her deception and her danger. Here is the cold face of hate and the hot face of passion. And the face of torment. Where's Henry? Believe me, your husband is here. Budget of one hundred forty-six thousand dollars. Oh no, no pounds. <laughs> Darn right. Quick, quick. 
Uh, could find no box office numbers. Rotten Tomatoes critics give it 83%, and the audience gives it 49%. Directed by Terrence Fisher. Hey. What? Uh, include, he did stuff like uh, Horror of Dracula, Revenge of Frankenstein, The Devil Rides Out, Phantom of the Opera, and <laughs> The Curse of the Werewolf. Whoa. <laughs> Interestingly, though, this one was written by Wolf Mankovics. Well, <laughs> forty credits. Now this seems like a uh, a silly name, but listen to some of these movies: The Day the Earth Caught Fire, Doctor No, Whoa. Casino Royale, Whoa. and of course, this was based on the book The Strange Case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, mm-hmm. starring Paul Massey. He's got thirty-five credits, mm-hmm. mostly British television episodes of The Avengers, The Doctors. Hawkeye the Pathfinder. Uh, also stars Don Adams. She has 71 credits. House of Sin, The Vampire Lovers, The Vault of Horror, and Christopher Lee. 286 credits, including The Gas Lady, Police Dog, and The Cockleshell Heroes. <laughs> oh my God. His character <laughs> is named Paul Allen in this, and I oh, found shit. that incredibly distracting <laughs> through the entire movie. <laughs> yep. Oliver Reed has a very tiny part in this, too. Oh. Uh, no lines or anything. He just showed up, and I was like, oh, Oliver Reed. <laughs> he looks like a werewolf already, so it's not a big <laughs> jump that he would turn into a werewolf at some point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the story. London, 1874. That's specific. Dr. Henry Jekyll. He's a scientist, rejected by his peers for his research and theories about the human mind. Uh, he's got a wife. Kitty and their relationship is going south because he's really only interested in his research. Um, he makes a big point right at the beginning of telling us that uh, man is two beings, man as he is with moral restrictions and man as he would be free of restrictions. Ooh. Very uh, cut and dry Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff. Yeah. We also find out that Jekyll's best friend is Paul Allen. Um, which the reason it's so distracting is this Paul Allen is broke all the time. (laughs) And I'm like, I've done the math and this does not check out. (laughs) And he loves to talk about football. It's really irritating. (laughs) So, uh, Jekyll's best friend is Paul Allen and Jekyll's wife is having an affair with him. Oh no. This is, this is mostly because of Jekyll, uh, not being around and all that, but (laughs) That night, Kitty is leaving for a social night out, and Jekyll asks her to stay, and he even tells her he needs her to stay, to be with him, mm. and he'll take the night off, but she refuses and leaves because, of course, she's going to go hang out with Paul Allen. So Henry injects himself with this serum, and he transforms into Mr. Edward Hyde, but here's the creepy, or not the creepy part, the crazy part of this movie. When we meet Dr. Jekyll, he's got a beard, kind of bushy eyebrows, he's an older man and everything. He turns into Mr. Hyde, and he is a very young, handsome man. Same actor and everything. But now he's got kind of almost reddish hair, bright blue eyes, and he's clean-shaven. They don't show us the transformation. I really would have liked to see that hair go back into his face or something. <laughs> but I I didn't know anything about this movie. I just, uh, Eric, you loaned me the hammer box set that you had. Mm-hmm. This was one of the movies, and I thought, oh, I like Jekyll and Hyde movies. I'll watch this. This sounds so when he really? turns around and he's handsome, I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> That's so good. Um, so we go to a club 
and Paul Allen and Kitty are dancing together. And here comes Mr. Hyde. He comes swinging in there. He's just like, hey, how you doing and everything. <laughs> he is quickly approached by a girl who takes a liking to him and they start dancing. There's a little bit of the nutty professor in this, uh, you know, because right. wasn't that Jerry Lewis's uh-huh. thing too? He turned into the suave guy and all this stuff. So um, the problem is that Mr. Hyde very handsome, well-cultured and all that stuff, and a real fucking asshole. <laughs> so this girl, um, she comes up and he's dancing with her for a bit. And then pretty soon he just kind of tells her to fuck off. And she's like, what you say to me? And he's like, I said, fuck off. <laughs> so uh, he sees uh, Paul and Kitty together. So he introduces them, himself to them as a friend of Henry Jekyll. And he looks so different that they don't quite recognize him listen <laughs> he has glasses on you no know that works, i right? <laughs> i was like well noted seems like your best friend and your wife might at least see a passing resemblance to the person you yeah, were maybe yeah. if he'd been like i'm his cousin or i'm his long lost brother coming to town well I'm they're both they're both a little drunk in fact uh paul is really drunk and he's being a real prick and saying horrible things about henry jekyll to Mr. Hyde. Mm. So Mr. Hyde has his Jekyll memories. Oh, okay. Um, i got to intercede here too, your Paul Allen thing. Every time you say that, you know exactly the face that's in my head. Of course. So it's kind of like, oh, this movie's really weird. <laughs> well, and, and I got to say this. Um, Christopher Lee is so goddamn handsome in this mm. film that it's ridiculous. I've always thought he was kind of an odd looking, long face and everything. But in this movie, he is so <laughs> handsome that I was distracted every time he was on screen just because he's never been handsome. And Christopher Lee, he plays the Paul Allen or he plays, he plays the Paul lead? Allen. Okay, gotcha. So you're like, I, uh, I get it. Yeah. I get it, lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, Jekyll ingratiates himself to both of them. and uh, But then Paul is being such a dick and Jekyll is kind of an asshole that Kitty leaves and that's when uh, we get uh, Oliver Reed showing up and a fight breaks out. And uh, it's really interesting because at first Paul Allen's like, God, I like this guy who's willing to fight and do all this shit. But then Jekyll just about kills the guy that they're fighting. <laughs> and, oh my. and Paul has to pull, pull him back. He's like, don't kill him. What are you thinking? <laughs> and Jekyll's just like, ah, uh, uh, and he starts kind of arguing with himself. The, mm. the, the Hyde and Jekyll part, and uh, that's when Paul Allen is like, get a little weird. <laughs> so, sure. uh, the next couple of nights are the same thing, though. He's turning into Mr. Hyde, who is super cruel and evil, and at one point he tries to seduce his own wife, and she won't have any part of it, but it's because she's in love with Paul Allen, not because she's in love with Jekyll, and this really infuriates Hyde, Aww. right? That scene, especially when he's trying to seduce his own wife, I'm kind of like, you must have seen him at least once without the beard. (laughs) 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 But he's even got different colored eyes. So they they really play it off as, you know, he's, he also, he just looks younger. Sure. So Interesting. um, Anyway, Paul shows up uh, one morning to borrow money from Jekyll and Jekyll refuses. And once that's gone, then uh, Paul dumps Kitty. So the whole reason he was hanging out with her is because he needed the money from Dr. Jekyll. And he's just a real creep in this movie. Um, but then 
Edward Hyde shows up and he's like, oh, you need some money? Yeah, no problem. Well, you owe him $2,000. i will i will give you 5000 Paul's like, this all sounds good. And then they go on a tear through town and uh, they're drinking, smoking opium and all this shit. And pretty soon <laughs> Paul has spent all of the 5000 that he was going to give 2000 to Dr. Jekyll with. So now he's, um, he's in debt to Edward Hyde way more than he was to Jekyll. So while Edward's out uh, hanging out at bars with various women and everything, Paul and Kitty do end up getting back together. And um, as Edward is leaving a bar, he is mugged. And when he regains consciousness, he is uh, transformed back into Dr. Jekyll. And he, he pulls this piece of paper out of his pocket. And it's a note from Kitty saying that she was leaving him. And he realizes, you know, I've got to stop this. So he destroys the drugs and formula, but he's already afraid that Hyde might have too much control over him. So it goes into a third act with some pretty brutal stuff. Um, as Edward Hyde, he rapes his wife. Beautiful. Yep. Yep. Oh, my. This is just a hammer, hammer thing. Yeah. Hammer just loves a good raping. They, they, you know, they didn't reach that point in Phantom. So, you know, they're just, we're headed that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they saw, they saw the, the writing on the wall. Right. They were like, hey, raping sells tickets. <laughs> Murder, arson, <laughs> rape. <laughs> you got blazing Always saddles. Always good. Right. Um, so he rapes his wife, and then he kills Paul Allen with a uh, boa constrictor, which I was like, mm, this is not exactly how this works, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's a good they, choice. Like, does the boa constrictor eat <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, like that's slowly. what's implied. Uh, there's there's a snake dance scene, and we're supposed to be horrified by this girl who's dancing with a boa. She even sticks the boa's head in her mouth, mm -hmm. and they're making a big, huge deal about this. But you know, we're all savvy enough now to know that the boa is going to crush you and then yeah. spend the next four days trying to <laughs> swallow you. Yeah. But that's not how <laughs> it works in this. He, he kills uh, Paul Allen pretty quickly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, our Paul Allen has also passed away, but I don't believe it was from Boa Constrictor. You know what? Don't I never so. read the um, the funeral, whatever. His little obituary. Obituary. I never read his obituary. Could be. Could oh, be so snake. Okay. As a form of cancer, I believe. Was could it also be snake? snake? It could be. He had cancer and then the snake on him as well. <laughs> All right. Focus, people. Um, <laughs> he kills Late. Paul with a snake. And then when Kitty finds Paul dead, she... <laughs> Kind of throws herself off of a balcony. Oh, I'm not. It's hard to tell what they're trying to say in this scene. She's anguished. Let's say that. And she's on a balcony. And Is it like accidental? She, I can't quite tell because she's kind of throwing herself around and then she topples off of the balcony. So huh. I'm like, well, that had to be on purpose. But hmm. why wouldn't you just make that an obvious choice? I don't know. Uh, pretty soon. The police are after him, and he's killing other people and switching back into Jekyll or Hyde with no control. And it's a pretty fun and, of course, hammer, gory act. Very, very red blood. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a final scene in the police department that I thought was pretty solid. Um, I like the movie quite a bit. And I must thank you, Eric, for loaning me that hammer oh, box set, which yeah. will go back home with you. Got some good so, stuff. I didn't write down the... Uh, the tagline on this, which took up half of the poster. So oh my God. <laughs> sure. I passed on it. Um, <laughs> interestingly, in the credits, Robert Louis Stevenson goes unmentioned. Oh, jeez. The novel is in the public domain, and apparently Hammer was just like, fuck it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we don't owe you a goddamn thing. 
Christopher Lee originally wanted to play the lead roles in the film. Uh, he would later play Dr. Charles Marlowe and Mr. Edward Blake, which was the renamed Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in I, Monster, which was another adaptation of The Strange Case of Jekyll and Hyde, but this time made by Amicus, which was oh, Hammer's main okay. competitor. Yeah. Oh. Which makes me really want to find I, Monster now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Just don't like mix it up with I, Frankenstein. You will be disappointed. Oh, boy. Very different. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> in a 1967 interview, Paul Massey claimed that Hammer originally only wanted him in the film for the role of the younger-looking Hyde, but he argued for playing the older-looking Jekyll as well. <laughs> Snap. I think that he made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you look this up on IMDb, the poster that comes up does not say the two faces of Dr. Jekyll. It says... Jekyll's Inferno, which I think is a way cooler. <laughs> this is way cooler. So, okay. That was our Hammer Films, guys. Wow. Nice. I had cool. a good time with this one. Yeah, I like Hammer. Yeah. yeah. It, it, no, it's a Terrence Fisher retrospect, but that's all right, because <laughs> these were three out of the norm Terrence Fisher yeah. ones that people referenced. No Draculas, no yeah. mummies. No Frankenstein. Like yeah. I was I was thinking about doing the mummy, but didn't you do the I hammer did. mummy not too yeah. long ago? I did do the hammer mummy. Yeah, we yeah. Had a mummy episode, I think. Uh okay, that means it's my choice for the next pick. Yes. And Who um, might it be? because I'm oh. an asshole. You guys got uh, <laughs> Universal and Hammer, uh -huh. but we're going up and I am picking I'm gonna be uh broad with this one. So the original was gonna be Full Moon. Okay. Uh Full Moon Pictures. I will uh -huh. expand that to Empire Films as well, which uh okay. which then broke off and became Full Moon. Okay. You might find a better film with Empire Films. Was that okay. Charles Band too? Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Did you? It's like you're looking up, going, "Oh yeah, I want to do this one." Hold on, this is Empire. Got no, it. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to do one of the really shitty uh, uh, Full Moon pictures. Like, oh, I, I haven't seen Demonic Toys. That's got to be pretty oh, awful, there you right? Go. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. You just you're just being mean to yourself. You don't have to. You the can pick man, a good... I haven't seen that one. That's gotta be fun, right? I think I've seen that one. That was fun. Trancers many... saw that one. Trancers I remember seeing. How many of these films involve dolls? Jesus. Well, there's the Puppet Master series, too. <laughs> right. The entire Puppet Master. Yeah, I, mean, I, the, Puppet Master. I did yeah, the first um, one. The Dracula ones, the vampire ones have right. the little little creatures that run around and Bl attack people. Bloodstone or something. Yeah, like Bloodstone. That? I've never seen most of these movies because they mm. look like such trash. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I'm looking forward to this upcoming one. And I'm looking forward to see what you guys pick. Yeah. yeah the only I'm ones excited. I've seen all over the Bloodstone films because I got that box set when uh, Charles oh, right. Band was at Horror Find all those years ago. Right. Before. Yeah. And you'll have to um, regale us with your uh, tale of Charles Band and how how inspiring to young <laughs> filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So... Uh, right now, I'm going to thank everybody for liking and sharing posts, participating in the value for value model. Uh, big thanks, of course, to the mainstays who are always doing that stuff. Bob and Danny, of course, Carlos, Ron. We hope whoever ended up winning the uh, streaming festival for HP Lovecraft liked the experience and saw lots of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when we come back uh, next week, we should uh, talk a little bit about the Lovecraft Film Festival, and I want to hear all about the wedding. There you go. Yeah. Maybe not on air. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. That is the end of the show, and we okay. will be back in seven short days. We are talking full moon pictures. Mm -hmm.
transportation, and other considerations for Strange Eons Radio, produced by Pan Am Airlines. When you think of traveling, think of Pan Am. You can't beat the experience. Guests of Strange Eons Radio stay at Econo Lodge Everett. It's an easy stop on the road, if you know what we mean. Strange Eons Radio is recorded live in front of a studio audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Sit, Ubu, sit. You demand now, dog.